So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, that would be fine. But if you don't, that's fine too, because all of the texts that we will look at tonight will appear behind me on the screen. Uh, My name is Pastor Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Eternal City Church, one of four. And I have the privilege of starting uh, a mini-series for four weeks out of the book of Romans. What we've been doing for the past year and a half is going through the book of Romans verse by verse by verse by verse, not skipping any verses, no matter how controversial they are. And what we've tried to do is every three or four chapters, take a break and pull out some of the topical material inside those chapters that were just previous because you only get 45 minutes and you can't say everything there is to say when you're preaching through Romans. And so we've, we're going to get this book done in under two years. It's pretty amazing to me, even with taking the, the four-week breaks. So tonight, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts from Romans chapter 12. Uh, and we're going to go through verses 5 to 8, kind of as our jump-off text. And so if you would like to read along with me, let's read. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Pete preached this two weeks ago, and so I'm not going to redo Pete's message. But one thing I want to emphasize here is this. We who are the body of Christ, both small b, local church, and capital B, universal church, or church all over the globe, we all are very, very different. Not just on the outside, but on the inside as well. Not just ethnically or culturally or socioeconomically, but we are made and built by God himself differently on purpose. And that's a good thing. And so if you are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the argument there that Paul makes to the Corinthian church is, look, the eye cannot say to the hand, because you're not an eye, you're not worth anything. Because the eye needs the hand to pick up what it sees and wants to pick up. And so we need all the various and different body parts that are the church. And in the local church, this is especially crucial, friends. Here's why. We are members of one another. And we as one body need every member functioning. What happens if your heart stops beating? You're in trouble. Big trouble. We better get you to the hospital quickly and get out those little electric, you know, we're going to hope to bring you back. Friends, I would assume that even in this small congregation, 
many body parts are not working. And my encouragement would be, you need to find out what body part you are and begin working for the health of the whole body. You with me? Now, our, our church, as small it is, as it is, has many serving members. And I praise God for the servants of Eternal City Church, week in, week out. Most people have no idea all the things that go on every week behind the scenes. You know, we gather for an hour and a half here on Sunday nights and it's visible, but there is so much that goes on throughout the week that is not publicized, that we don't blow up, that we don't throw up on Facebook. Uh, Some things we do, but most things we do not. So I am encouraged by our members who are serving. However, I want to encourage you who are not. Let's go. And may this message be an encouragement, perhaps a catalyst, to get you thinking about how has God wired me? How has he gifted me? How has he made me to serve him? Now, at the beginning of Romans, you remember verses 11 and 12 of chapter one, Paul says this to the church at Rome. He says, I long to see you. You remember he, he was not ever at this church. He had never visited the church at Rome. And so he says, I, I long to see you. Why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Paul has a massive amount of spiritual gifts, which is why he was uh, the Apostle Paul, maybe one of the most influential men in history, period. I would argue he was one of the most, maybe top five, top 10 most influential people in history. And so he has these spiritual gifts that he is aware of, he is self-conscious of, and he knows that when he goes to the Roman church, he's not just going to be kicking it, going to look at relics and and going to to pray to saints and visit St. Peter's. You know, none of that stuff was around yet, right? (laughs) He's doing none of that. I am coming to impart to you some spiritual gift that God has given me for what? To strengthen you. Friends, when we use our spiritual gifts to serve the local body, we are strengthening the entire body. And when one member is strengthened, in effect, the whole body is strengthened. When many members are strengthened, the body gets even stronger. And so Paul says, I'm longing to come to you, church at Rome, so I can impart to you one of my spiritual gifts. And then he says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul recognizes you also have gifts that I need. And so as I impart to you my spiritual gifts, you will impart to me your spiritual gifts, and we will be mutually encouraged or mutually strengthened. One definition of a spiritual gift is this, a measure of grace appointed to each believer, equipping him or her for the service of the body of Christ. And here's the deal, friends. You might have known this. You might not know this. Every one of you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit living in the inside of you, and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He has given you special abilities and skills, at least one, but perhaps and most often more than one. Most of us have been given a variety of gifts by the Holy Spirit, and he works through us to strengthen others, to bless others, and to build the church or the small B body of Christ, the local church. Now, some people have been given gifts to strengthen the big B body of Christ, 
These would be the larger named people that we all know about. And, and they are at work strengthening local churches, plural, and thus strengthening the big B body of Christ. And that's some people. But listen, in our church, that's probably not any of us. And that's okay. Our job is to strengthen this local church and the people uh, connected to it. Two broad categories of spiritual gifts. Peter, one of the apostles, says this, as each has received a gift. I want to see if you can find what two broad categories of gifting are here. Okay, read with me. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Notice the serving one another. That's what the gift is for. As good stewards of God's various grace, varied grace. Whoever speaks, hint, hint, as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves, hint, hint, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The two categories here that Peter recognizes is speaking gifts and serving gifts. And so right now, think of yourself. Do you have gifts to speak? Do you use words and God uses your words to strengthen other people? Now, I want to encourage you. Some of you might say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. You know, I can't even really give counsel or advice to someone when I'm sitting down with them. Uh, listen, if you have the gift of gab, meaning you can hold a conversation and people aren't running away from you, and it's not that awkward silence, like, yeah, I'll see you next time, you know? If you have the gift of gab, friends, I want to encourage you, you probably have a speaking gift that you just need to develop. You need to be equipped. You need to have that hewn and honed and worked so that you can use that gift of speaking to encourage other people. We learned in Romans 1.16 that it is the gospel that is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. When that gospel is spoken by anyone and God chooses to use that speaking of the gospel, men and women are born again. They come alive out of spiritual death with our words and the Holy Spirit moving through our words. It's amazing. And then the other broad category is service. I would argue that most of the body of Christ have a service gift, meaning that you are able to do practical tasks and do practical helps for people. Now, some of you know that the, the Greek word uh, deacon literally means servant. And so we in our church do have an official office called deacon, and we have two current deacons, and I would love for many more deacons to arise. Uh, any member can be a deacon, both male and female, and they serve. How do they serve? In any way that is needed. And so we're going we're gonna to go broad, and then we're going to start to tighten it up a bit. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. But notice this. It's the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of God who empowers any gift, Meaning, it's God who works through you as you're serving other people. Isn't that amazing? That the one who brought the universe into being and sustains it, Hebrews 1, is also using you and moving through you 
oftentimes imperceptibly, yet he does move through us and use us. I believe one day when we show up on Judgment Day for reward as Christians, we're going to be amazed at all the times that God used us that we didn't even realize. The impact we had that we did not see because much of the work of God is invisible. It's as, uh, as God walks on the waters, we can't trace his steps. And so he moves through us invisibly, yet he moves through us. Sometimes there are those occasions when we know and realize and recognize that was God right? And those are beautiful times. But we must in faith believe that when we are exercising the gifts God has given us, he is using us and moving through us. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1 and then 4 through 7. Now, I don't have time to go through the gift list in Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And I know that's where all the controversy is. That's where everyone wants to go and talk about healing and miracles and tongues and prophecy. We're not going to do that tonight. Okay, I do have views on that, and and in the past, in my sermons, I have spoken about those very clearly on more than one occasion. That's not what we're doing tonight, so I hope I don't disappoint you, but I want you to see this here in 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning, and I thought this little helpful note in the ESV is, is good for you, the expression now concerning introduces a reply to a question in the Corinthians letter. You remember Corinthians was a response to a letter that Paul got from the church. And so he is answering all these questions that the church in Corinth, he'll say now about this and now concerning this. And now it's because they had bullet points of questions. And so much of the Corinthian letter is is a response of Paul answering questions. It's a Q&A from Paul. And Paul does give long answers. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Okay, you asked about spiritual gifts? Here you go. Three chapters, 12, 13, 14. Brothers, now there are a variety of gifts or varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Okay, drill that in your thinking. It's the same spirit who moves through us in varied ways. And we should be happy about that, that there's variety and not sameness. I mean, don't you get bored eating the same thing every day? It's like after four days of pizza, you're like, I never want to see pizza again. Right? I, I read the Exodus account and I'm like, how many different ways can you make manna before your mind gets blown? Right? They find a scorpion. They're like, yes, scorpion manna today. You know, and they chop that whole thing up and fry it on some hot rocks. Seriously, I'm not, Lizard manna tonight, yes. You know, finding anything they can to add to the manna. They're in the wilderness. There's got to be lizards, desert lizards. Come on, Google it. She's looking at me like, no such thing as desert lizards. Definitely. Tarantula manna, excellent. That was for you. I love you. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, Service, the Holy Spirit moving through us to serve the body, meaning the people, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. Okay, notice the theme here. Empowering, strengthening, 
from you, but for other people, not so much for you. See, we, we in America get gifts backwards. We're like, this is my gift for self-aggrandizement that I might be known, that I might be. That's not what the gifts are for. The gifts are not for us. They're for everyone else. They do come through us, but they're not for us. Others' gifts are for you, but your gifts are for others. And so, man, are you using your gifts to serve others? Or have you just put them in a drawer, closed the drawer, locked the drawer, and said, ain't nobody got time for that? Have you? Or are you actively using your gifts to serve and strengthen the body of Christ that you belong to? That's the question. And when you use those gifts, it's God moving through you for the common good. For the common good. All right, one more, and then we're going to get real practical. I always love to ground our topical messages in Scripture, and I want it to be expository even when we're doing topical messages. Now, Ephesians, you remember, 1 through 3, doctrine, theology, gospel. Chapter 4, 5, 6, application of that doctrine, theology, gospel. Just like Romans, 1 through 11, theology, doctrine, gospel. 12 through 16, application. All right. And so here, Paul in chapter four, starting in seven to eight, says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right, stop. I don't know if you noticed yet, but every time a gift is mentioned in the previous passages, it comes by grace. Unearned, undeserved, in fact, demerited favor, just given without regard to you. Why? Because I want to. God is sovereign in the gifts that he gives. It's up to him. It's his prerogative. He has a plan for you. And by you using your gift that he's given you, he will use you to expand his kingdom. Therefore, quick application, we should not be envious of other people's gifts. And we should not feel guilty or lesser when we see someone else's gift being used to a greater capacity than ours. Should not be like that. We should rather recognize who we are, what gifts has God given me, what opportunities has he given me, and then go with all your might by the Spirit's power in that direction. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But here, it's a measure of grace. It's grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, meaning he is going to give the gifts he sovereignly chooses. Remember, this Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, but he's called the Spirit of Christ. He's also called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Father. So he is the Spirit, but he's Jesus' Spirit, and he's God's Spirit, and he's, as his own person, the Spirit. And so it's God gifting us, but the person of the Holy Spirit is the one who moves through us. And you could say, yes, it's Jesus by the Spirit, and it's God the Father by the Spirit using us, but this is by the Spirit. Therefore, it says quoting the Old Testament, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. All right, so that's the end of eight there. This is referencing Jesus coming to earth, going to war with Satan's sin and death, being victorious, rising from the dead, 
conquering Satan, sin, and death. And then in ancient warfare, when you would plunder an enemy, you would take all of their valuables. You can read this all through the Old Testament. They took the clothes, they took the wealth, they took the weapons, they even took the women and children because these were assets. And here Jesus is pictured as conquering the kingdom of darkness and what kings would often do when they would parade home in their hometown or their home city, they would give parts of the spoil out to the people. These are the spoils of war and they would share it. And so here, Jesus is pictured as this, giving gifts to his people, the church. He comes, he conquers, he wins, he gets gifts, and now he gives them to his people. But watch this. This is fascinating. What are the gifts? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, real quickly, I think the apostle in the capital A sense is the twelve minus Judas, plus Matthias, and then later added Paul, that office is closed. No more apostles with a capital A, all right? Which is why we don't have that office here, because it's not a biblical office that's open. Now, small a apostle simply means, the word itself means sent one. It means you are sent on a mission. And in fact, more than the 12, minus Judas, plus Matthias, later plus Uh, Paul. Others are called apostles. Barnabas, he wasn't one of the 12, right? He was a small a apostle. Okay. And there were others that were called apostles in the new Testament. This gift is to be sent like a missionary or a church planter, or you have this entrepreneurial edge that you start things and then they get going and you have then a desire to go and start something else once it's established. That's an apostolic gift. Often missionaries have this gift. Church planners have this gift. Apostle. That's a gift that God gives to the church. What next? Apostles. Prophets. Now, again, capital P prophets, no more of them. Okay? Once the scriptures are closed, no more capital P prophets. No one in our day says, thus says the Lord, and speaks authoritatively like Isaiah or Amos or Ezekiel. And when you hear people doing that, my encouragement to you, this goes for Eternal City Church, outside, do what you will, be careful. When someone starts telling you, I am speaking for God Almighty, listen to me, be careful. One story. I know I have to. I have to. So uh, uh, an apostle, quote unquote, came to a friend's church. And my friend's church was okay with apostles and okay with prophets. So this apostle is a prophet. And it's my friend's turn to be prophesied over, right? And so you're going to have a wife. She's coming. It won't be long. And he says to me, all they had to do was look at the ring on my finger. (laughs) Not that hard. And that's the kind of stuff that we experience in 2022, 2021, and back into you know, the early uh, decades, or rather the late decades. Here, small p profit, I think, is still in operation. What does it look like? And I did say I wasn't going to get into this, so forgive me. <laughs> small p profit looks like this. You have extreme discernment. You are able to kind of sense things happening around you in the, in the spirit realm that others can't see and perceive. 
Perhaps as you're praying for someone or talking to someone, God drops something into your mind that you are to share with someone. But listen, if this is you, if you're like, yeah, I kind of, that's me. Listen, here's my encouragement. You should not say, God told me to tell you this. Because how do you really know? What you should say instead is, this came to mind as I was praying. It may be from God. It may just be my memory, my subconscious. It might be, but here it is anyway. Okay. Uh, there are people who have strange dreams and then those strange dreams apply to reality. That happens today. Okay. That's all in the small P prophetic realm. And I believe that is an operation today, but here's what we need to do with that. If that's you, you don't ever like put on a Jersey that says prophet and start saying, look at me, I'm prophetess so-and-so, or I'm the prophet so-and-so, and then put your name on a big poster and I'm going to do a tour and I'm going to come around and prophesy over everybody. And hey, let's take an offering here. You know what? Let's take a second offering. You know what? Let's take a third offering. In fact, for 20 bucks, I'll give you a prophecy right now. Come on. Friends, that is trash. That is not of God. Throw it out. And the only people clapping are the ones who receive false prophecies. Isn't that right? So yeah, look at that. Look at that. I know. I know. I love you guys. My prophecies are for free. All right. I won't even charge you. All right, here we go. Prophets. Apostles, prophets. Now, these last three are ones we're more comfortable with. Okay. Evangelists. These are people who they can't sit next to someone on a plane without being like, take out those headphones. We need to talk about Jesus. <laughs> right? They're at the Starbucks getting a grande and they're like, here's a tip. You know, it says ticket to heaven. And they're like, you know, Jesus, you going to heaven? You know, they're ordering Subway and they're like, yeah, put some jalapenos on there. And by the way, have you been washed by the blood of the lamb? <laughs> they, they just can't help it, okay? Now, many of us are not evangelists in this sense, but I've met some of them. Okay, one of these guys came to my church, uh, this church. In fact, he was a servant here. He moved on to another church. We would, I went to the mall with this guy, and you know, we're talking, we're having a conversation, and I'm, where'd he go? And he's over there talking to a group of guys, and he's like, yeah, man, I just shared the gospel with five of them, and then we're doing it again, and he's over here talking to this guy, and he's like, I just shared the gospel with him, and he gave me his number. And that's how you know you're an evangelist. You share the gospel, they don't run, and then they want to follow up. Every time I talk with uh, people about Jesus, they're like, peace out, I'm out of here. I'm just kidding. My, the, way, the way God has gifted me personally is through evangelistic Bible studies. That's the way I've always seen fruit. Doing the cold evangelism thing doesn't work for me, but maybe it works for you. Anyway, that's the evangelist. That's a gift that God has given to the church. Evangelists, shepherds, that is the only place in the New Testament other than 1 Peter where we find the word pastor. Did you know that? Jesus is the chief shepherd in Peter or the senior pastor. The only other place. Shepherd is equal to pastor. Or what do pastors do? They shepherd people. Okay, and so God gave pastors to the body of Christ as a gift. And then the last one is teachers. And it is distinguished from pastors. Because all pastors have to be teachers, but not all teachers have to be pastors, right? And you know the difference when you're in a sermon that's, that's preaching and a lecture, 
Okay, let's turn to page four in our outline now. And I'm okay with that, all right? I'm not dissing teachers. I taught for years before I ever preached the sermon. So don't hear me dissing anybody. I'm just trying to emphasize the difference. Okay? Preaching has much more of a get off your chair, <laughs> get in the game, where teaching is imparting knowledge, imparting understanding. Okay? Now listen, these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, are gifts that Jesus got in war. You're like, how does that work? Friends, do you realize we were under the rule and reign of Satan? All of us in the kingdom of darkness. And when Jesus plundered Satan's kingdom, you were the spoils of war. You realize that? The, the strong man, Satan, was bound by the gospel and the preaching of it, and he robbed his house. You're the spoils of war. I am. Isn't that good news? And so, friends, we as God's sons and daughters are the gifts that Jesus gives to the rest of the church. And we are to serve one another. Now, let's look at, there's, the, there's five-fold uh, gifting of Jesus, but look at this. What's it for? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, Jeff Vanderstel, I really appreciate him. He would say it like this. In many churches, you'll have a few pastors, teachers who minister to the many. You got a few who minister to the many. This verse says, the few equip the many for ministry. That's the model. Who's the ministers in the church? Everybody. You, friend. And so my, my question is, where's your ministry? Remember, I said this was preaching, so I got to ask you to get off your seat. Where's your ministry? This verse says, the pastor, me, is supposed to equip you for the work of ministry. Where are you at? I love you. And listen, if you don't know where you're at, let's go. That's why we're doing this right now. <laughs> to help you, to encourage you. Okay? Friends, I want you to change your thought process to, I, as a Christian, am a minister sent by God as a gift of God for the rest of my church. That's your identity. Yes, you're a child of God first, but secondly, you're a minister to the church of God. And so, no, we're not going to rock around now and say, hi, I'm Minister Moran, or I'm Minister Eric, or whatever. No, we're not doing the title thing, okay? But what we will do is exercise the gifts that God has given us to strengthen the body around us. That's where Paul goes next. Look, for the building up of the body of Christ. So notice, the gifts that God gives are supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry. When the work of ministry is being done, what happens? The church is built up. Now you remember from the first message of this year, 2022, what we said was, it is really easy to tear something down. And we got a lot of people all over social media tearing down. You know what's a lot harder to do? Build up. 
Demo can happen in three or four days. Erecting a, a complete structure after that demo, sometimes months or years. Friends, Christians are to be about building, not just tearing down. Sometimes we got to tear down, okay? But we can't always just be tearing down. No, we should be building each other up and building the church up. How does the church get built up? When the individual members are strengthened. How are the individual members strengthened? When we use our gifts. God working through us. All right, what will happen then? How, or rather, how long should we do it? Until we all attain, attain, that's get something. What, what are we getting? To the unity of the faith. Remember Jesus prayed for unity in John 17. I pray that they be one even as we are one. Okay? And again, that doesn't mean we all think the same and like the same things or even have the same convictions. Rather, we put our personal convictions aside for the sake of the gospel and the unity that we are all Christians. Believers in Jesus, under him, the gospel is much weightier than all the secondary, third, and fourth things. Amen? And if anything, 2020 and 2021 has revealed is for some people, those number three, four, five things are way more important than the gospel to them, right? Let's not be those people. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and... The knowledge of the Son of God. And so there is to be some knowledge, some truth gained here. To what? Mature manhood. Or, Greek, a fully grown man. Okay, the, the idea is we are supposed to, as Romans 8.29 says, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Here it is. We're to minister to each other until we look like Jesus. In his character and quality to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I love this because taken as a whole, what this says is pastors are a gift to the church. And now someone says to Eddie, what, you think you're God's gift to the church? And Eddie can now say, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly what I am. I'm God's gift to the church. <laughs> love you, bro. Love you. We, we work for the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now imagine a whole church. Now listen, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, even for like three weeks, you know that there are some more mature people and there are some less mature people. That is by design. There are infants in Christ, yet they're 60, 70, 80 years old because they've just come to know him. And yet there's young people in their teens and 20s who are far more mature than some 70-year-olds. Okay, that's the way it is in the church. And we are to be gracious and patient with everybody, knowing that God will use us to help grow people. We shouldn't get mad that someone is where they are. Rather, we should say, you don't have to stay there. You can grow. Come here and grow with us. All right, let's move on. Now, I want to move to very practical practicals with my last 11 minutes. Okay, let's get real practical here. Tim Keller, I really appreciate him. He's, he's been a hero of mine for many years. Um, he has this three-stage or three-part way to find out uh, a call or a gifting 
okay? And he uses this uh, idea of, listen, sometimes you don't know that you have a gift until you step into the opportunity and then you realize, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I, I never tried that before. Therefore, I, I never knew I could do it. Here it is. It's affinity, ability, opportunity. Affinity, ability, opportunity. All right, I'll, un, I'll unpack those for a second. Affinity. What burdens do I find in the community that attract me? Like, what's going on in the people's lives around me and in the community that the church finds itself that attracts me? That's affinity. I gravitate towards this. I find myself wanting to do something with this. What ministries resonate with you? Like, yeah, I would really like to do that. I would, I think I could do that. What moves you internally in the passions? Okay, that's affinity. Okay, so number one, affinity. Number two, ability. That's clear. Can I do it? Do I have the skills? Am I able? And then in community, do other people believe I can do it? You know, someone says, I should be on the worship team. And then you announce that to some people and they're like, "Mm, we love you, but no, you should not. Hey, that's why they won't let me sing. I tried. I was like, put me up there. Put me on the mic. And they're like, no, absolutely not, Chris. You're terrible, man. And I'm like, all right, I submit to community. That's fine. Seriously, let community speak into your gifting because they can see a perspective you can't see. And maybe you actually think you're terrible at something, but they're like, no, actually you're not. And they're not flattering you. They're not puffing you up. They're serious. Okay? So affinity, ability, skills. And then the last one is opportunity. What doors are open for you? And Keller would say, look, if those three things are in place, you got a clear open door and call from God. If you have the affinity, the desire, the gravity towards it, and you have the ability, the skills that are confirmed by other people, and then you have an open door opportunity... You should not be asking, is it God's will? No, it is. Go through the door. I hope that's pretty simple. Okay, as far as individual gifts go, what what gifts has God given me with? We have a fantastic tool for you. If you're a member here, you've used this tool already. But if it's been years, I would encourage you use the tool again. How many of you have taken a shape assessment from this church? Look, a bunch of you have. Okay, great. If it's been years, I would encourage you do it again. Because sometimes things change and shift and move. And I do believe that sometimes God gives us gifts for certain seasons and he pulls them back for other seasons. And so here's what the shape means. It's an acronym. Spiritual gifts, God-given gifts of a believer. So that's the S. H, heart, passions that energize and motivate. A, abilities, talents, and knowledge that equip. P, personality, how you relate to others and how you view the world. And lastly, E, experience, wisdom gained, what you have seen, and what you have learned. Now, for those of you who've taken the shape, you know it's like 150 questions long, and you get like a 10 to 15 page report on yourself. And when I was doing one membership interview in here, I'll leave this person's name uh, out. This person said to me, how does it know so much about me? 
That's why like, you kind of put that stuff in there, but it, there is a way that the program works that it spits it out in very clear terms, and it is like looking in a mirror. It's freaky. Okay? And so that is free for you. You want to do that? You come talk to me. I'll send you the link. Okay? If you're a member, it is required in the membership process. you got to do the shape assessment. And so you can get a clear view of yourself, and then you can start to try out some areas that uh, you might not have known you should try out. All right, so the shape assessment. All right, and then secondly, with six minutes and 25 seconds left, I want to talk about the priesthood of all believers. Okay, the priesthood of all believers. Now, back in the Old Testament... The priests were a special class of God's people, weren't they? They did the sacrifices. Uh, the Levites were working the temple and the musicians. And, and if you weren't a Levite, and if you weren't from Aaron's lineage, you were not in that special service of priests or Levites. Now, friends, when Jesus died and resurrected, you know what happened to us? We all became priests and not in the Roman Catholic sense. We are to be priests who are making living sacrifices. You remember two weeks ago, Romans 12.1, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And so we are priests who should make living sacrifices. What does that look like? Serving other people. You live out the will of God revealed in the word of God, and it's hard, which is why it's a sacrifice. And you build up the body of Christ and you serve as a priest. Now, where do you get that in the Bible? Well, it's in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race. And he's taking this from the Old Testament, but he's applying it to the church. You are a chosen race, no more Jewish, but rather in Christ. The race of Christ, our new ethnicity is in Jesus, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Why royal? Because we are priests of the most high king, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? that you may proclaim, say something about the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You the priesthood of all believers. Now, there are three areas that we are to serve as priests. Okay, I'm going to read to you from uh, Gene Edward Veith's essay, The Doctrine of Vocation. Okay, now listen, I don't always quote theologians and authors at length, but when I do, it's good. Right? So, this is good. And that's why I'm going to quote it to you. He sees here three areas, and I agree with him, three areas that we live out this priesthood. Okay, number one, the household or the home. Number two, the church. We just spoke about that in the first half of the message. Number three, in government. All right, and guess what? One month from today, Romans 13 opens up with government. And so we're going to pause there. And if you come back in about a month, Romans 13, one to seven deals directly with government. And I guarantee you'll be upset with me. 
Guarantee it. Okay, so come back and be offended. I love you. Okay? My aim is to offend everybody. Not just the right, not just the left, not just the centrist. All, you'll all be offended, all right? It'll be great. We'll all be offended together. All right. <laughs> so the household or the home. Here is uh, Gene Edward V. Here's what he says. This refers to the family, including its economic labor, which supports itself. So the family, including the labor of mom and dad that supports the family. The very word economy, which derives from the Greek words for house and management, refer to the concept of the household. But our family relationships constitute our most important vocations. And so Edwards here, or I'm sorry, Gene Edward Veith is going to get into the idea of vocation, which also means calling. A vocation or calling. This is another way in which we serve God as priesthood of all believers. The church, seeing uh, with your spiritual gifts and using your time, your talents, and your treasures to serve the other members in your church. And then government, as I said, we'll get on that in a minute. All right, so here's Gene Edward Veith. The Reformation doctrine of vocation teaches that all Christians are called by God to live faithful in three arenas, the household, the church, and the state, in which all Christians are to live out their priesthood as believers by offering up their lives as living sacrifices to God. Vocation has to do with God's providence, how he governs and cares for his creation by working through human beings. Vocation shows Christians how to live out their faith, not just in the workplace, but in their families, churches, and cultures. Vocation is where faith bears fruit in acts of love. That was a great sentence. Vocation is where faith bears fruit in acts of love. And so it grows out of the gospel. Vocation is where Christians struggle with trials and temptations, and it becomes a means of sanctification. Now listen, my wife, who's right in the back there, her vocation right now is to be at home and manage the household. And man, is it hard. Like when she goes out for the day, and it's my job to manage the household and the little terrorists, I mean, I want to throw them off the deck, and it's high, you know? talk back to me, you know? And and so the idea here is it sanctifies us, right? Your household, at least for me, my household is the greatest place where my sin shows up. And I'm like, dang, I did it again. I got to repent. But for some of you, your household's pretty chill. So maybe your job is where your sin shows up the most. I can't stand when she looks at me like that or talks to me like that or treats me like that. You know, and then for some of you, maybe all of us, government is really sanctifying there. Okay, but we'll get to that in a month. All right, here's, let's continue. Every vocation, according to Luther, now Luther, Martin Luther, the great reformer, not perfect, okay, in fact, had many flaws. He's not Jesus, but he was brilliant on vocation, okay, and separating from what was dominated Catholic Germany. Uh, where there was this class like the Old Testament of priests. No, Luther said, we are all believers, priests. And so Luther developed this without a lot of prior theology books to read. 
He was an originator, which is why he's one of the greatest reformers. All right, here we go. So according to Luther, what is vocation? It is to love and serve your neighbors. Now, I love this. Listen close. Your vocation brings specific neighbors into your life. Your spouse, your children, your fellow citizens, the members of your congregation, your customers. God wants us to love and serve them. And here's a Luther quote. Ready? God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. God does not need our good works. God cannot be served by human hands as if he needed anything. But I need your good works. You need others' good works. Right? Well, how? Well, he begins to unpack this. God saves us apart from our works, then calls us back into the world, into our distinct callings, to love and serve him by serving uh, and loving our neighbors. To love and service, these good works consist largely of not special good deeds, but the ordinary tasks of vocation. Parents changing the baby's diaper, which Luther hailed as an act of holiness. Now, it's terrible holiness, but it's holiness. I mean, I've been in the diaper world for like a decade. It's terrible. Okay, but Luther's like, look, that's holy. That's holy ground when you peel that little Velcro thing off and get out those baby wipes and try to hold your breath. Holy ground. Because you're serving the Lord by serving the infants. That's profound. Holy diapers. <laughs> I love it which Luther hailed as acts of holiness. Farmers plowing their fields, shopkeepers selling something useful, engineers designing useful pieces of technology, artists painting beautiful pictures, citizens casting a vote. These all can be offered as acts of love and service. One more paragraph. Luther stressed that God himself is living and active through our vocations. He gives us our daily bread by means of farmers and bankers. I'm sorry, bakers, bakers, not bankers, not the PNC guy. You're not giving out Panera bread with your, with your cash deposit. <laughs> bakers, and I would add to that, like truckers. Man, you, you think the bread just magically appears at Giant Eagle on the shelf. Like, it's there again every time I need it. It's amazing. No, the trucks bring the stuff, and the bakers are in these massive factories baking these loaves of bread. Yeah, we just go, we're like, man, bread's $1.50 now? Last week, now it's like five bucks. What happened? Gas a gallon's cheaper. A gallon of gas is cheaper than bread now. So the idea here is Luther says, through all these means, our neighbor is being blessed, but God is working through us to care for creation. This is providence. He creates new human beings and cares for them by means of mothers and fathers. He protects us by means of lawful magistrates. He proclaims his word and gives his sacraments through the voice and hands of pastors. Vocation, says Luther, is the mask of God. That's amazing. Your vocation is God's mask Serving other human beings. Have you ever thought of that? That what you do 
is God doing through you, especially if you're his child? Now, if you're not his child, that's called common grace. God gives gifts across humanity without finding fault or without merit. But if you're a Christian, this is God serving even non-Christians through you, your vocation. We see only the human face performing ordinary tasks in everyday life. But behind that calling through which we are blessed, God himself is hidden giving his gifts. Isn't that a great quote? It's worth reading at length, isn't it? All right, so I'm done, but friends, I want to end with this. When we think about gifts and us serving each other and using the gifts God has given to serve each other, we must not miss the greatest gift. Hey, if we just walked out of here without missing God's greatest gift to us, this would be a failure of a And so what is God's greatest gift? Well, this text says it clearly. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, the greatest gift that you must receive, bigger than bread, bigger than your technology, bigger than the gas that keeps your car running, you need Jesus. God's gift to humankind that they might be saved from his righteous anger towards their sin. Friends, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And so all these smaller gifts that we spoke of tonight all point to the big gift, the greatest gift, Jesus himself, God made flesh, lived perfect according to God's standard, died a substitutionary death on the cross, was buried and rose victorious and ascended on high. And he is coming back, friends. And he's coming with his reward for his children for how we lived our lives. You do realize we will be judged according to our works for reward. How you live out your vocation, how you live out in your home, in the church, and in government. So friends, we're going to celebrate God's great gift right now by taking communion together as one church. We're going to worship by taking communion. We're told in the scriptures that every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're together as one church, united in Christ, going to proclaim Jesus' body broken and bloodshed together. So here's how it's going to work. If you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust him, if he is your savior, we invite you, take communion with us. Celebrate what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then let's respond by thinking through, meditating on, and taking action by what we heard tonight. 